This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Water in our homes. We drink it, we flush it, we bathe in it, and we water our lawns with it. But we rarely think about it. What if I told you there's a lot you don't know about water? What do I mean? Well, you might think you use a lot of it but your TV probably uses more than your shower or your toilet does. And you might not think that the water running underground to your home and then away from it is the perfect conduit into surprising backstories of economics, science, history, and city planning. But it is. If you're curious, stick around because you're about to learn a lot about water. And it's all really cool. Hi there. I'm Kevin O'Connor. And this is Clear Story, a new podcast from this old house. Today, we're obviously going to talk about water. But before we do, and since this is our first episode of a brand new podcast, let me tell you about what we're doing here. Let's start with the name. In architecture, a Clear Story window brings light into a dark space. So it's the perfect metaphor for this podcast. We want to shed light on the interesting and often untold stories behind the way we design, build, renovate, and live in our homes. We'll explore how the 2x4 helped settle the West and led to the rise of Chicago, and how it was also part of the reason that that city burned to the ground. That's a cool story. I want to know more about that. There are millions of old, already cut trees submerged under lakes just waiting to be harvested for use in home building. I want to learn about that. Water travels uphill. In a fire or a hurricane, you lose one window, you could lose your house. There's a way to make a perfect roof and a perfect wall. Window glass was once so precious, pirates looted it. Those are all cool stories, and there are a lot more of them too. There is so much that I don't know, and there's so much that I want to know more about. I'm fascinated by insightful storytelling, and I always have been. I love it when people explain how something works and why it was designed in a particular way. And I love the unintended consequences that come from all those things. Understanding the process, well, that's half the fun. So on Clear Story, we're going to share some awesome stories and shed some new light on any and everything around your home. So I hope you'll join me and the whole crew from this old house for season one of Clear Story. It's going to be fun, and I guarantee it's going to be fascinating. And it starts right now with water. Maybe you think we're going to talk about shower heads and kitchen faucets, and we will, don't worry. But first, let's go more big picture. With so much focus on water conservation these days, you'd think we're running out of it. The first half of the headline is we are not running out of water. But the second half of the headline is human civilization is built where the water is. 
That's Charles Fishman, an award-winning journalist who spent years researching water. His book is called The Big Thirst, The Secret Life and Turbulent Future of Water. New York City is where it is for a reason. Nashville is where it is for a reason. San Francisco and L.A. are where they are for a reason. And often the reason is water or, in part, water. So just to be clear, we're not running out of water, but... What climate change is doing, what's happening now, is that climate change isn't shifting the amount of water. It's shifting where the water arrives. We start, quote-unquote, running out of water because the system we've built to collect the water turns out not to be in the right place for the new water that's falling. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. All the water on Earth was created out in space, one molecule at a time, and delivered here at the very earliest ages of the Earth's formation. There's no water being created or destroyed on the planet now. All the water we've got is, in fact, all the water we've got. So the good news is, Every bottle of Fiji water, every bottle of Poland Spring water, every bottle of Evian is, in fact, Tyrannosaurus rex P. Hmm. That water has been here forever. It's all been through the kidneys of dinosaurs many, many times. So water is recyclable. It's the ultimate recyclable. We use it over and over again. By the same token, if we screw up the water we've got, there's no new source of water. So let's move past the dinosaurs, and let's talk about your kitchen sink. When you start washing the dishes and you turn on the tap, have you ever wondered, well, how did the water actually get there? Or maybe your kids asked you and you realized, um, I actually have no idea. Engineers in the early 20th century laid the foundations of the system we use today in a place like Washington, D.C., where the city's been here a long time, there are literally water utility pipes in service today, not far from where I'm sitting in Washington, D.C., that were installed in 1858. They were installed before Lincoln moved into the White House, and they are still being used. The water delivered to our homes is safer than the water that more than a billion people rely on every day. The water in our toilets is cleaner than the water that one in seven or two in seven people in the world rely on every day. So it's a brilliant system, and it's brilliantly engineered, but it is in most cases very old. And even in the cases like new cities like Las Vegas or South Florida or Orlando, where it's been built in the last 30 or 40 years, it's been built using old fashioned ideas about water engineering. And so our entire economy, our modern economy is built on that system, but that system is ready for a revolution, the kind of revolution that's come to lots of other arenas in our life, you know, computing, telephones, all kinds of things. A revolution may be coming, but most Americans haven't really struggled with water access inside their homes. I mean, honestly, when was the last time you turned on the faucet and no water came out? The water utility people pride themselves on absolute reliability. They call themselves the silent service. And that is exactly right. It is almost 100% reliable. There are notable exceptions, right? What happened in Flint is appalling. In Toledo, Ohio, in recent summers, there have been algae blooms in Lake Erie that have shut the water system down. 
But those are notable. No, no one reports a, a 15-minute power failure because they're so common and we've adapted to them so well. Those are notable precisely because how uncommon they are. The water system, it's so reliable, we don't even notice. We don't appreciate that level of reliability. And the, the level of safety that you describe, the notable achievement of the system, it comes to us at a fairly reasonable price. You might even say that it's cheap, the water we get. it's really, really, really cheap. (laughs) Um, The typical water bill in the United States, the bill just for turning on the tap and getting the water, separate from your wastewater treatment bill, the typical bill is between $30 and $40 a month for a family of four. So that's a buck a day for essentially unlimited water. Now, of course, if you turned on all the taps and the outside hoses and the bathtubs and ran them all the time, if you really, quote unquote, tapped unlimited water, your water bill wouldn't be 30 bucks a day. But no one ever thinks to themselves, oh, I better take a shorter shower because the water bill's running high. But here's the thing, that 30 bucks you pay a month, that doesn't actually cover the cost of the water. Most water utilities are in the red. They're running a deficit which also means they have a hard time maintaining water treatment plants and underground pipes. That may not matter today, but it probably will in the coming years. Now let's head to Las Vegas. I'm Pat Mulroy. I am the former manager of both the Southern Nevada Water Authority, which is the regional wholesaler and resource manager for all of Southern Nevada. Over the course of the 20th century, Las Vegas was growing at record rates, and by 1990, the population hovered at 700,000 people. In 1989, Pat Mulroy was put in charge of the Las Vegas Valley Water District. So by 1990, we were becoming quickly aware of the fact that we had committed more water resources than Southern Nevada had available to it given the existing water usage patterns. That led me to have to declare on Valentine's Day, so it's still lovingly called the Valentine's Day Massacre of 1990, a moratorium on any more new connection commitments from the Water District, which then had to be followed in short order by all the other retail agencies in Southern Nevada. Pat Mulroy quickly realized that at the city's current rate of growth, Vegas would be out of water by 1995. That was only six years away. So she just stopped giving water allowances. And without water allowances, you can't build new homes. Then she was called to Steve Wynn's office. And Wynn is often called the father of the modern casino. He's a big guy in Vegas. Yes, I went down there fully expecting to have my head handed to me on a platter. And that's not what transpired. That conversation, which lasted for two hours, led to a long-term relationship on conservation and water resource management between ourselves and his company that produced some pretty remarkable results, like a wastewater treatment facility capturing the gray water in his establishment and converting it for use in his decorative water features outside. And then she got to work on everyone else. Here's Charles Fishman. She changed the water culture of Las Vegas. So 
she sort of looked around and said, we're growing grass on single-family homes. That's the single largest user of water in our community, like this was Ohio or Michigan or Massachusetts. It's not. It's the desert. That's crazy. And so gradually over time, Las Vegas put in place a whole series of remarkable regulations, starting with sort of small things. You can only use a trigger nozzle on your hose outside. Your hose has to shut off automatically when you let it go. And in the last dozen years, it has become illegal to have a front lawn in Las Vegas. That goes for all new houses. No sod in the front yard and less than 50% grass in the backyard. And then the city paid property owners to tear up their lawn and replace them with desert-friendly landscaping. But what about those casinos? What about all their fountains and their canals? The biggest thing they do, though, is that every gallon of water used in the city is collected by the wastewater treatment system. It is cleaned almost to drinking water standards and put right back in Lake Mead. 94% of the water in Las Vegas that hits a drain is recycled and can then be reused. So Las Vegas is the biggest reuse city in the country, bar none. The only water that doesn't get cleaned and reused is the water that's used for some kind of outdoor landscaping. So that means if you check into the Bellagio on a Friday night and you turn on your shower and then you let it run until you leave on Sunday, all of that water will be captured and eventually reused. Listen, you've wasted a ton of other resources doing that experiment, but not the water. So how are the rest of us using our water? You're going to want to sit down for this. This may surprise you. Around 50% of our national water use is tied to electricity generation, and another 30% is used for farming. So that gets us up to 80. And that means that the last 20% is split between businesses and homes. Most of the water we use residentially isn't even used inside the house. We're using it outside. I mean, let's face it, we're obsessed with our green lawns. So how can we do better? Well, Charles Fishman tells us to have a look at southern Florida. In Orlando, 48 inches of rain fall on every square foot of ground every year. It's a place of great lushness, plenty of water available. But counties around southern Florida were not collecting that rainwater. They were using drinking water, water from the aquifer, for washing cars and landscaping. But your flowers don't really need purified drinking water. So in 1985, Orange County, Florida built a reuse plant to take their used utility water and clean it so that that water could be utilized for all outdoor applications. Enter the purple pipe. Water that has been cleaned, but probably not clean enough to drink. In the first year of that system, when the new, when new construction had barely taken hold, even in the first five years, that didn't seem like it was having a big impact. But the interesting thing about water is you have to look to the future, and small changes result in huge culture changes and huge use changes over time. Now we're literally, whatever it is, 34 years later, Central Florida has doubled in population. The amount of reuse water they use today is equal to the amount of potable water they use. They don't use any more potable water than they did in 1985. They've doubled the population, but the potable water isn't used outside. So between this new system of reuse and conservation, they've raised a whole generation of people who think it's silly to water your soccer field or water your azaleas or even wash your car with purified drinking water. 
There's no question that climate change is redirecting where rain falls. We've had record flooding across the country, from New York City to Houston, and epic droughts that have paralyzed states that provide a significant amount of our food supply. So does there need to be a water revolution at the local level? Well, Charles Fishman says we have no choice. We're going to change the price of water because one of the reasons we don't use water smartly is because it's poorly priced, poorly in the sense of it's just cheap, and so people don't think about how they use it and whether there's a smarter way to use it. There's going to be a much more dispersed infrastructure when water falls on your property. If you're an office park, if you're a school, if you're a complex of athletic fields, you're going to start learning to a university. You're going to learn to collect that water and use it right where it falls so that you don't need to rely on the utility system. And we're going to start to clean water and have different water for different purposes. The the method of Las Vegas cleaning their water, the method of Orlando cleaning the water and creating a second quality of water for use for a second purpose, that's going to become much more common because we're not going to have any choice. Charles Fishman realizes none of this is straightforward, and he gets it on a personal level. When I was writing the book, I said to my wife, let's see if we can cut our water use by 10%. Let's get the kids involved. Our our kids were young then. And we sort of had a 10-minute conversation about this. And she said, if we do that, that sounds like a fair amount of work. How much money will we save? And it, it worked out to about a quarter a day. And she literally reached in her purse, pulled out a quarter, handed it to me and said, you know what? You you do what you want. Here's my quarter. I don't (laughs) want to live like that. Uh, Which is a sign not of my, my wife's indifference to the problem, but of the complexity of saving water. But let's give credit where credit is due. Fishman's family does manage to use half the amount of water per day compared to the national average. That's 40 to 45 gallons versus the typical 85. More in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
Richard Trithui is a plumber and a longtime member of this old house. What if I run out of things to say? It's never happened, and if it does, we've got a, like a news release. <laughs> He's had a front row seat to the residential water conservation world. He fixes, renovates, advises, and yes, he even solves some mysteries. A friend of mine called me and says, Richard, I got a bill for 100,000 gallons in 30 days at my house in Florida that I wasn't at. 100,000 gallons 100, of water thousand. when he wasn't there? Correct. And That's so, a leak. Well, yeah. So I worked backwards and I said, okay. And I said, how many minutes in an hour? 60. How many hours in a day? 24. Do the math. Uh, times 30. And when you, you take that number for units and you take 100,000, it came out to 2.5 gallons per minute. And that just meant that his the last person that left his house before he got on the plane flushed the toilet and the flapper stayed up for 30 days. And so 100,000 gallons just blew down the drain. Down the toilet. Down the toilet. Drain. Literally. Yeah, literally. Toilets may be absolutely essential, but they also use the most water inside your home. When I first got into the game, those there were toilets that had the tank on the wall that was six gallons of flush, and now they went to three and a half gallons per flush, and now we're getting down to 1.6 gallons and 1.2, sometimes with uh, for liquids. It made a difference. It really made a difference. That toilet is being used all the time. That evolution of, say, six gallons up on the wall dropping down for a flush from 5 to 4, 1.6, 1.2, it was a rocky road. Yeah. First ones that came out uh, didn't work. The plumbing industry, the engineering inside the manufacturer of plumbing China where toilets just wasn't there at the time. So the early ones you had to flush twice or three times and there was always uh, issues with trying to keep the bowl clean because there wasn't enough water to remove the salts. So it was painful, painful. We had to modify things back then, try to sort of field engineer where we'd modify the dams that used to be inside the toilet tank to try and make them get the customer happy uh, and still try to save water. And so it was It was not easy, but it was, uh, It in retrospect, it, I'm, I'm thrilled that the way it worked out. Our previous guest marvels about how simple yet effective the whole engineering system is. A toilet is like a little microcosm of that. It is not run by electricity or powered by an no. engine. It is this sort of- The physics mar- of water. Yeah. You have to have, you have to have the right amount of water in the tank to have enough weight of water to come down and fall into the bowl and then create a siphon, which then creates a pull to do it. And the con- it's, just the, it's just the physics of water inside, and it's brilliant engineering, but it's ever challenged by less and less water, less and less water to be used. We, we went to see American Standards uh, test facility last year, and they're doing things now where uh, it even steps it down by another third. So it's just, it's just they keep on pushing the engineering to try and still make it properly work. Does that explain the fails? I mean, it was engineered when the engineers could imagine three, five, six gallons of water to do what they wanted it to do. And that same basic design stays with us. Yeah. And now we have to do it with 1.2 or even fewer gallons of right. water. Well, there's two ends of that. One is to have enough water on the toilet, on the supply side to make it flush. But the other thing that's a worry for the plumbing industry is if all the piping that carries waste and water away were designed for X amount of water gallons, and now you use three quarters less or two thirds less, 
and these pipes are pitched, it continues that, to worry about that solids won't have, there won't be enough water to move solids down through the plumbing system. And then you have more stoppages on the discharge side of it. So the water is getting it not just out of the toilet, but it's carrying it through tens, maybe hundreds of feet of That's plastic right. pipe That's through right. the house. That's right. So there's some discussion, should some of the plumbing drainage piping be re-engineered in terms to a smaller size to support that less liquids are coming down? I don't think that'll happen right away, but it's, it's a real life issue. That is the reason behind the dual flush toilet, where mm-hmm. you can push a button to use less water to right. move the pee and more water to move the poo? That's right. Well, you can't say poop, can you? Yes, no, just salt. No, I, I just did. The shower, let's talk about the shower because it is the thing that we always think about as the biggest water use. It's, it's not, but there have been improvements made there yeah. and they're continuing to push the envelope. Yeah, it's a flow restrictor uh, inside of every delivery device inside the shower. Now, I will argue that the flow restrictors are lovely, but if you have enough things inside your shower to resemble a car wash, if you have five body sprays, <laughs> a rainfall shower, and a hand shower, I'm not sure you're really conservative. What's a flow restrictor? It's a little orifice that's inside, the, out of sight. Um, it's And so it's a small, it might be the, 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 the device itself might be the size of a dime, and that has a little hole that's the, the just a little bigger than a pencil tip. So it then just forces that water to back up, increases its velocity right at the delivery point to fool the eye that you have enough, you have a good flow. It does a great job. When they first came out, you every time you had a flow restricting showerhead, you felt like you were a prisoner in a state penitentiary <laughs> because you didn't, you just didn't have enough water coming out. So the water is not being, that I've ever been. No, I was no, just going to no, say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'll use my imagination. <laughs> um, the water is coming through the house in a three-quarter inch pipe, and and oftentimes right to the showerhead in mm-hmm. say a three-quarter inch pipe. Right. You're talking about cutting down that three-quarter inch right. opening to something much smaller Correct. to restrict the flow. Right. And I have a point about that. If we, let's say the hot water pipes are oversized up to the bathroom in the three-quarter, and then you have flow restrictors on everything, what happens? It takes longer to get the hot water to you. Because you're only using You're emptying the pipe at a slower rate. Mm. So it's an interest. All the engineering is being challenged. Every part of the engineering is being challenged as we use less and less water. But what about leaks? What do you do about leaks? I think every house should and will have a device that would talk to your phone and it's on the main water supply. And when you leave the building, that valve will shut off. It can be geofenced like everything else so that it would know. Uh, it would also, there's this devices now that can monitor if there's an anomaly in water usage that's something different. It will shut it off and notify you. And that's, that's what I think everybody's going to do. And I think it's going to be driven by the insurance companies as much as conservation. The ability to turn the water off to my house when I leave, it makes total sense. Right. I don't leave the lights on oh, yeah. when I leave the house. Oh, yeah. There's certain things I do yeah. when I leave and I just yeah. know I'm not going to be using right. it. And the fact that the water's still there under full pressure, right. yeah, that's something that we got to yeah. do. Everybody's got a washing machine, right, with washing machine hoses that can fail. And on the back of the washing machine, there's a shutoff valve that nobody ever shuts off. And it's always going to fail sometime when you're not there. So this would be this way to give this uh, sort of assuredness to know that you're not going to destroy the house. Orange County, Florida, Orlando, uh, the purple pipe, this idea that new construction after 1985 should have a separate piping system so that we can split the water usage, Mm -hmm. potable water to drink, 
maybe a little less clean water for outdoor use. Mm -hmm. Make sense to you? I think it has to be the new normal. I think it has to be the new normal in places where you're building new. From where I come from, the infrastructure is so old and existing that you're you're not going to be able to think about that. But in a place where you're doing new subdevelopment, that should be the new model as far as having water that you can recycle and condition and filter and use for other uses. It's got to be. And I think, you know, in... You know, I've been to Europe a million times. Having rainwater collection is a baseline standard in those buildings. Every single house, you know, in in Western Europe and Germany, particularly Austria, Switzerland, they collect their rainwater. It's there to be used for the garden. They would never think about spinning the meter because, you know, it's more expensive there to do their gardening. I dream about a BTU battery that we can store energy from the sun's energy into the building. I also see that we'll store water so each building becomes more self-contained in terms of its usage. How about mindset? Um, How about an idea that if you give somebody something so cheaply and give it to them in an unlimited manner, that that by default starts to dictate their behavior? Oh, it doesn't cost anything, so I can waste it. One of the most compelling things I heard from Charles Fishman was that his wife gave him the quarter. Right. <laughs> if this is the god of water, like he is, and his, he can't change the behavior in his, in his own family, then it, it's a reminder about how tough the challenge is. But in that situation right. where, you know, Charles tells his wife, let's save water, and she says, all we're doing after all this effort is saving a quarter, so here's my quarter now. That's a very rational decision. Right. Why would you go through the effort to right. do something that you could right. so very easily dispense with yeah. by paying right. a quarter? So have we, we've created that monster we have. We have. by making it so unlimited and so cheap. It's the economics is too too inexpensive. You know, the you, you know, there's, there's devices that can go on your electrical panel now mm. that can, for the first time in a very real way, tell you that the recessed can lights use this much electricity. It can translate it into cost and it changes behaviors. And we have to have the same sort of thing uh, where we monitor its, the use of water, but the, but the cost of the water has to be higher in order to make a difference in behaviors. First is to know it and then to act on it. We're in pretty good shape then in terms of what's in our house. So it's a behavioral, it's a mindset thing. Yeah, I think it is. I think uh, you can still yell at your teenage kids to get out of the shower, but it's more for ritual than real life conservation. So we're not running out of water, and Richard tells us that our appliances are already about as efficient as they're going to get. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with this idea of a new water revolution fixing our municipal systems. So what does that mean? Well, it means being smarter about how we collect water. If you're in Las Vegas, you might have to collect the water at the drain. But if you're in Florida, it might just be about collecting rainwater. And most importantly, don't purify water we're not going to drink. Do a better job with collection and a better job with purification, and that's going to go a long way. Drop us an email at clearstory at thisoldhouse.com to let us know what you think of the episode and if there's anything else you want us to explore. And if you like what you heard, subscribe to Clear Story and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clear Story was produced by Rococo Punch for This Old House with additional help from Chris Ermides and Sarah Chase. Special thanks to our guests, Charles Fishman, Pat Mulroy, 
and Richard Chathui. I'm Kevin O'Connor. More next week. <laughs>